Hello there. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the season one finale of Enlightened. You've heard from folks from all walks of life this season. And while our final guest needs no introduction, you know I'm going to give it. Mike Krzyzewski, Coach K, the legendary Coach K of Duke men's basketball and USA basketball men's national team will be with us. And you guys, this couldn't have come at a more meaningful time. Coach K is closing out his more than 40-year career at Duke. So it's truly an honor that he be the one to help our enlightened community close out season one. There's a reason organizations seek him out to speak to their teams and to offer up his enlightened perspective on leadership. He's been through a challenge or two. He's inspirational. He's thoughtful. He's kind. Can I just say he's the whole package? I mean it. This man knows how to help people become the best version of themselves, and he truly, truly leads from the heart. I'm thrilled he could be with us for what is the icing on the cake of our inaugural season. So without further ado, Coach K, his final season and our final first season episode. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Lisa Borders here. I have the great privilege and my pleasure to be with a real friend, an icon in the sports industry, Coach Mike Krzyzewski at Duke University. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. And it's uh, an honor to be on. We've been friends for a long time, and I think we've made each other better in our associations. I really admire all the things that you've done and not just the things you've done, but the manner in which you've done them and, and a lot of respect. Oh, coach, likewise. And thank you for the kind words for all those Duke haters out there. Just turn your dial up even louder because we're going to talk about Duke. So just soak it all in. I'm a Duke graduate. Coach has been at Duke for 40 years. You are a legend, my friend, and you have done so much not just for the basketball program, but for the Duke community at large. So I want to talk about that a little bit. Your leadership on the court is legendary. And I was just talking with some friends recently about defense winning games, because everybody knows I love basketball, but it's actually a metaphor for life. And the defense I see in life is oftentimes the barriers that people put up in front of us when we're trying to get something done. Can you talk about leadership just generally, how you use not only that term, but how it guides your behavior with your teams there on the court of college students, but also the men in your fantasy camps? You know, Lisa, the, for me, leadership has been, that's been my vocation. That's what I've studied. I've been a lifelong learner of leadership. I was fortunate to go to the best leadership school in the world, the United States Military Academy. And when people say, what was your major? And I said, my major was leadership. Mm. We learned how to be led. I think being a good leader means you can be led, not just lead, that you have empathy, that you understand. You have to understand people and you have to be constantly adapting to the uh, way you communicate. Like I'm 74 years old. I'm 55 years older than the kids I coach. I'm always, I've been always older. And I think one of the great things about leadership is the ability to adapt 
to the people you have the honor to lead. Understand who you are leading. Like for me, I got to make sure that I speak the same language, listen to some of the same music, dress a little bit like them. And, uh, <laughs> wait, 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 coach. You're listening to their music. Are you kidding me yeah, right yeah. now? Thank goodness you don't see me dance because you'd be <laughs> laughing. It'd be a comedy show. But the other thing about it is it's up to the leader to get his or her message across. Now, the message doesn't change for me. You know, they're based on a value-based uh, culture of our seven values in our program, integrity, respect, courage, selfless service, duty, loyalty, and trust. And uh, those things have been consistent throughout. But how you get that across to a group, that's, the, that, that's what makes leadership every day is interesting. Right. Every day is interesting because every day is different. Right. Coach, we just came off the Olympics and the U.S. men's team won gold, as did the women. And you coached at the Olympic level and have three gold medals to show for it. So whether you're coaching at Duke or whether you're coaching at the international level with the U.S. OPC team, are the leadership values that you carry the same? Do you address the guys the same way? Or is there a difference based on age and experience that they've gone through? Again, I think the basis remains the same. You know, how can you get a group not just to hear and see what you want them to do? How do you get them to feel it? How do you get them to own it? A group will do their best if they own it. Mm. With the U.S. team, the very first meeting I ever had with them, LeBron, Kobe, and all these guys, I had, it was an honor to coach them. In the first meeting, we always had a picture of the gold medal up on the screen. And I told them that night, I said, you are not playing for the United States. And they looked at me like, all right, this guy's a knucklehead. Like, <laughs> you know, where's the pro coach now? And I said, look at that screen. I said, now, you will not win the gold medal unless you are United States basketball. You're not mm. playing for, you are. In other words, and we, we used the military to teach them how to own it. And I told them to go upstairs in their suite sometime that night. And we had their uniforms laid out on their beds. Oh, my goodness. And they didn't know that. And I said, when you go up, just be 16 for one minute. Just be 16 for one minute. That's all I'm asking you. So later that night, we're in Vegas. We're at the win. And I'm playing video poker. And I got a, someone taps me on the shoulder. And it's Kobe. Mm. And Kobe says, Coach, I did that. And I started crying. And I knew right then, I get chills thinking about it. I knew then that that was the start of us owning it. Because if you own, it's not rental property. Mm-hmm. Whenever I speak to the military, I talk to them about this because we only play away games. Thank goodness our military only plays away games. And so whenever you're playing that game, it's not a game. It's a combat confrontation. You know, you're going against somebody who owns that land. And that, to me, is one of the key factors that I've tried to do over the years. And my really outstanding teams owned it. Sometimes you don't get it completely across, but Mm -hmm. for the most part, we've been able to get that across. 
Well, Mike, it sounds like this notion of internalizing and it's not just mind share, it's heart share. Like you got to believe that you are a team and that you can do it. And it's partly up to the leader. I hear what you're saying, but it's also up to the team to take ownership of whatever they are trying to do. So let me back up because three gold medals, five national titles, 12 final fours, dude, the accolades just keep racking up and racking up. You've done just amazing work. What happens when you lose, coach? It hadn't always been peaches and cream and perfect at Duke or anywhere else. So where does your mind and heart go when you're having a challenge with a particular tournament or game or opponent? Something I learned at West Point as a cadet that I've tried to use as a base for whenever you do get knocked on your butt. And that is failure is not your destination. In other words, to me, you are going to lose. No one is perfect. The very first question, at least, how did you lose? Is Mm. it because of lack of effort, lack of preparation? Like you analyze why you lost. If it's for one of those reasons, lack of effort, lack of preparation, then I'm going to, we're going to, I don't know if you want to say punish or that's not acceptable. However, there are times where you can play your heart out, and I call it being worthy of winning. Mm-hmm. If my team plays like they are worthy of winning, we will most of the time win, but sometimes we'll lose because the other person, the other team, can equally be worthy of winning. That's when the great games occur. And then when those occur, I'm okay with moving on quickly from a loss. Again, we could have done this on an out-of-bounds play or whatever that's. But if you're only dealing with a technical aspect of a few things in a loss, that's easy. It's when you're dealing with attitude or the fact that uh, it wasn't as important for me. A key thing for sustained excellence is that everyone likes to win unless you're crazy. All right. So you like to win. Not everybody likes to prepare to win. Mm. And if you do not love the process of preparation to win, you're not going to sustain excellence. You're going to be a momentary winner, maybe. You're going to win one season and not the next or whatever. But if you learn to love preparation, the best preparer I've ever seen was Kobe. And really, the 11 years I spent with the U.S. team, to see how LeBron Chris Paul, Mello, Kevin Durant, all these guys, how they prepared. Guys would accept different roles. DeMar DeRozan would, Clay Thompson would, but they're prepared. And this is when I first took over, I thought, boy, we'll have two practices. We'll do this and whatever. And speaking to Dwayne Wade and LeBron and Jason Kidd and Kobe, they said, just have one practice, coach. We need our time during the day. We have our routines, and they had routines in the morning, practice, and either after practice or at night. They were constantly preparing. And so when you saw the product, you say, boy, God gave him a lot of talent. Yeah, he he did, or she did, or whoever God is. They're preparing their talent. Right. Listen, God gave them the talent, but 
they have to cultivate it and curate it and bring it to their A game. And you mentioned Kobe and God rest his soul. I miss him. My brother from another mother, he was a special guy, like all your guys were, but they had not only you and the USO PC group supporting them, they had family supporting them just as you do. And I want to talk a little bit about your family because I know Mickey is like, She's like the standing rod there in the Shishesky household. <laughs> Can you talk about a little bit about your support system that has helped you navigate life, not just the basketball court, but all the things you have gone through? I know you and Nikki have been together for forever. You have three beautiful daughters who are married and eight grandchildren. So you have a nice bevy of Shishesky's. I finally learned how to spell your name. It, it took me like 15 oh. years to learn how to then spell it. Then you have to it. go to therapy. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go back to when I grew up and my mom, God bless her. She only went had an eighth grade education. She's a cleaning lady and she's the best person in my life. She's very wise. And when I was a teenager starting high school, she said, get on the right bus. And I said, I know how to navigate the city. And she says, that that's not the bus I'm talking about. When you go to high school, she says, Michael, whenever it was something important, Michael, you're going to start a new chapter of your life now. Uh, only put good people on your bus and only get on the bus of good people. And that's been my main mantra my whole life. And I married a good person. And my wife, we got married on graduation day at West Point. We've been married for 52 years and we've been partners. I know when somebody says they have your back, you think it's only they have your back saying good things or you did this well or whatever. Having someone's back is telling them the truth at the moment they need to be told the truth. And my wife in some critical situations has told me, you're not doing this right, or you should do this. And I learned early about a, a woman's wisdom, a WW, women's wisdom. Oh, Mike, yeah. say it again. Preach, no, preach. No, yeah, because I was just a guy's world. It's just me and my brother, God bless him, he's passed. And, and West Point was only men, men's basketball. The Army was mostly male during the time I was a captain in the, in the service. And Mickey added wisdom. And then my, I have three daughters. And if I had three more kids, I'd want three more daughters. And I've learned from being in the Krzyzewski family from my four beautiful ladies And they have my back, they love me and whatever, but they also sometimes see things better than I do. And they also have a way of feeling some things deeper. And to me, it's one of the gifts God's given me, not them. They, the four of them have been gifts to me and we do it as a team. We have a group text called the starting five. Where we're able to share pictures of after a practice, I look, I have 43 text messages. They're all, <laughs> they're talking to one another and I'm eavesdropping on all the stuff that they're doing, but we're connected. We've been a family and we've tried to then run our program as, as a family. Mike, I absolutely love that. I did not know you had the text messages with the starting five, but yeah. it sounds like keeping everybody close. And I know Mickey's the hub of that wheel and 
you guys have done an amazing job and it's a testament to the strength of your relationship with Mickey and the family that you have raised. So the nuclear core is strong and that has radiated outward, but let's go back and talk about mom because she sounds like she was the tip of the spear. And I want to talk a little bit about the Emily Case Center, the Emily Krzyzewski Center in Durham, because that extends beyond Duke It's part of Duke because you're at the heart of it and mom's at the heart of it. But can you talk about how you and Mickey started it and why and what the emphasis is? Yeah, my mom always believed in education, even though she didn't have the opportunity to have it. And I don't know, my dad was an elevator operator, went to two years of high school. And I don't know how they did it, but they put us through. We're Catholic and went to Catholic grade school, but you pay for it. Uh, Catholic high school private, you pay for it. And as a result, something good happened to me. I I was a good player and I got scholarship offers, but I also got offered from the U.S. Military Academy. And basically, we were a low-income family that produced the son who went to the United States Military Academy. So we said throughout the country, only one in five low-income kids get an opportunity to go to college. So in our community, we started the Emily Krzyzewski Center, and it's now 16 years old. We just completed an $18.8 million campaign to expand it. We have ribbon cutting uh, in a month. And we service 300 kids day to day in programs, but about 2,000 others in the community. Our goal is to reach every youngster in the Durham County and give them the opportunity for us to help them navigate the process of applying to a college, getting aid. And then if we can fit them in under our roof, we'll take them from first grade, our pioneers program to eighth grade, scholars to campus, uh, the high school, and scholars on campus. If one of the youngsters who graduates from our, they go to other schools, they just do ours in addition to help them. And every one of our kids has gone to college. Almost 95% of their uh, tuition has been paid. Wow. And when they're on campus, we have a scholars on campus. We follow them for four years. We want to make sure not only they get to college, but they graduate. And then we have a, a program then to, for any youngster in Durham. And we work with the high schools to, again, help navigate the admissions process. The admissions process is very difficult educationally and language-wise for a lot of people, a lot of paperwork, and just how you do that. So sometimes education is stopped for a youngster because their parents cannot handle that. They just get frustrated and they put in, and we say, no, wait, wait a minute, we'll help you. We'll help you. And I'm so proud of it. And it, it, Really, my mom's name on it is the best because it really, she is really, there's so many mothers in our community and fathers who feel we're in her position where they believe in education as the way to get, you know, way to open up a new part of your life. And every youngster, there's so much hidden talent in low income communities that is not given an opportunity. It's like the flowers that don't get the soil or the water to grow. There are beautiful kids in all these communities that don't get that opportunity. And we're going to make sure that this thing stays here forever 
and the kids in our community get a chance. Mike, I absolutely love that. The fact that mom and dad left such a profound impact on you, particularly mom, like all mothers who want their kids to do well, but you and Mickey and the Emily K staff are making sure that kids are not suffering based on the zip code they're born into or the circumstance that they're born into. So kudos to you and the work that's been done and all hail to the women's wisdom. I'm just in love with (laughs) that. Believe me, I'm I'm not just saying that because I'm on your podcast. I say that all the time. And for me, I'm with guys all the time. For a father to have the love of a daughter is one of God's greatest gifts to a a man. And uh, I have three of them. Wow. And, and they're my buddies forever. <laughs> <laughs> You're a girl dad with a compounding I am, I am effect. A huge, I love it. I am a huge girl dad. Huge. Yeah. I love it. I love it. As we think about your legacy, so you've got Emily Kay and you've got indelible fingerprints on the community. You've got indelible fingerprints, obviously, on the Duke basketball program. Let's talk a little bit about fantasy camp because that's <laughs> grown men. So you've got the collegiate athletes that are coming through the Duke program. You've got young people who are coming through Emily K in addition to their traditional schooling. And then you got fantasy camp, dude, I know it was like draft night last night for fantasy camp. And this has been going on since 2018. So talk a little bit about what the hell are those grown men doing on your basketball court now? We're on a few women. Love it. Um, Yeah. No, this is the 18th year we've done it. We have over a hundred campers. We also have golfers. We have golfing. And we started at Michael Jordan used to run a fantasy camp in Vegas. And I was part of it along with a lot of, not a lot, but a number of really outstanding coaches. And I just decided to run one here, but to do it obviously in a different way. We don't have uh, card tables. and. <laughs> <laughs> Not on on our campus. At least that we're going to talk about. So we did it a different way and we did it where it's really a five-day experience. And we bring people in from all over the country and we bring about 30 of our former players back and have them coach and work with uh, the guys along with our current staff and our current team. And it's amazing networking opportunity. One, the campers with one another And a huge thing for me over the years is to handle the transitions that my players will make when they stop playing basketball. There's a time where basketball is not there. And what do they transition to? Grand Hill, Batty, those guys, they have no problem in transition. But a lot of guys do. And to meet these people and develop relationships sometimes open up opportunities. The other networking is with our former players and our current players. And that's where the brotherhood started. We have a thing we call the brotherhood and where these guys now can touch our team for about four or five, five days. And all the money goes to Duke or a basketball program. And we initially started it and a lot of the money went to the Emily Krzyzewski Center. And now we promote the Emily Krzyzewski Center, and a number of these guys will give money to the center, and they even give money to our program. It, it's an amazing thing. I never thought it would be like this, and we've made unbelievable friendships with so many of these, uh, these men and women. 
That's just amazing to me. I think we are all children at heart, men and women alike. So when we have the opportunity to come back and hang together, but certainly be led by someone like you who has, come on now, you got the street cred, right? So people want to be in working. the building. We want to be not, in the building. Know, I'm, I'm from the inner city of Chicago, no gangs or anything. But I grew up knowing you have to constantly work on street cred. But really with these guys, they... You know, what I tell them at yesterday is the beginning of the camp. I just said, whether you're they're doctors, lawyers, they're top business people. I said, leave your titles back in your hotel room. Just come here and be a good teammate. Make yeah. somebody better. Be a guy. Just be a good person. And a lot of friendships are developed here in a way that you would develop them as a younger guy or a younger woman. Mm-hmm. And sometimes as an older when you're older, you don't have that opportunity. And we see that develop over the years also. Amazing. One last question, Coach, because I know we need to wrap. You've got so many things you are in the middle of, but we're so grateful you spent this time with us. Was there ever a time in your life, whether it was growing up or whether it was coaching at Duke or Indy or Army, where in your life did you perhaps have an experience where you went in with one perspective and had some experience and came out on the other side with a different perspective. I think it's ha- it happens quite a, a number of times over, I have a 47-year career. And, it, and, and I, I call it acclimating to your environment more so than one specific event. I remember coaching at Army as a head coach for five years and then coming to Duke I had a big transition to make and one, just one, who you're recruiting. Mm. Like at Army, we were recruiting a certain, and to up it. Then a, a big thing for me was when I found out, don't try to be somebody else. I remember in the 84 Olympics, I was doing the scouting. And one night I was with Coach Knight and Mr. Iba and Coach Newell. You know, what a nice table, huh? Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. And uh, Coach Knight, who had a big influence on me as a coach, left the table. And I'd become friends with Mr. Iba and, and, and Coach Noel. And uh, they sat me down and said, listen, you're going to be a good, really good coach. And you're with us. Don't try to be us. You can learn. You can never the imitation can never be as good as the real person. So don't try to be exactly like anybody, but take what you think are the good qualities and learn to be you. Really was a big turning point for me in 1984, where I started following my own instincts even more than I had before. And I, I tell my assistants all the time, don't try to be me or whatever, be you. And then let's learn from one, one another. That was a real big moment for me in, 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 in changing. That is incredible. This whole notion of authenticity, everybody is championing today. It sounds like you learned that lesson way back and kudos to the coaches who shared it with you and your willingness to to share it with others. I want to thank you for your service to Duke as a graduate, as a trustee, and as your friend. 
Marion Wright Edelman, speaking of women's wisdom, said, you cannot be what you cannot see. Mm-hmm. So thank you for being an example of the courage and integrity, the compassion that you offer. We are so grateful to have you in the Duke family, you, Mickey, and the whole crew. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for giving back to our, our your alma mater, the school I love, and but also the advancement of, of women in sport there. And it's, it, it, we're really at a great stage right now to really boom it. And, and, but it's because of people, really not as many people as you would think, but you're one of them that have put us in this launching pad right now. And as they go, go, people go forward, if we go forward with this, I hope that you will continue to show your guidance and your leadership in, in that regard, because it's not only really good, but I don't know if the right word, but I'm going to use it. It's elegant. Oh. Yeah, it is. And that type of leadership in moving along puts it in a fast lane like you. It, it helps. It helps so very much. Thank you. My pleasure. I am humbled. I am humbled by your kind words. Thank you, my friend. Do you promise to right. come back sometime after your retirement? I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to, maybe uh, I'm going to look for stuff to do. Not, not, that, <laughs> not that would be the only reason that I would do it. All right. Love it. Thank you, Mike. All right. Well, here we are 26 episodes deep. 26 times this year, you gave me your ears your hearts, and your minds to listen in as our enlightened community grows. What has happened over these last six months hasn't just been a series of personal conversations or revealing enlightened perspectives from some household names. For me, it's also been a transformative experience, one where I got to know people I've known for a long time on a whole other level, one where I got to know people I'd never known before and who helped me break out of my shell and opened my eyes to the notion that there's always the opportunity to think a different way, to find a different way, especially when it comes to navigating what life can throw at us. And honestly, I know I got to learn about them, but they taught me a hell of a lot about myself. Whether it be opening my mind to the evolving takes on food and finance, or it be softening my thoughts on an otherwise calcified mentality around self-care. Hello, meditation. Our guests have shared more than I ever dreamed possible. I hope it had that same kind of lasting impact on you as well. By being here, they have pulled back the curtain on their life and work, and in doing so have been incredibly generous with their time and their willingness to teach and learn. I'm eternally grateful to each and every one of them. And you all too, our enlightened listeners, I'm so thankful for you joining this community, for your feedback, and for your continued support. There would be no enlightened without you. Season one is just the beginning, everybody. Follow us on social and stay tuned for what is already shaping up to be an incredible season two. See you then.